Welcome to Immigration Review, your weekly source for immigration case law updates and insights. I'm your host, Kevin A. Gregg, back again to review the week's presidential immigration cases, rummaging through the decisions so you don't have to. This podcast is sponsored by Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, also known as KKTP, a law firm where I'm also a partner. Whether you are facing an immigration obstacle, a serious injury, or a legal issue in your business, KKTP will aggressively protect your best interests. And as always, this show does not constitute legal advice and has no bias other than to keep you up to date and to enable you, my dear colleagues, to excel in court. So, without further ado, let's start the review. So, until Friday of last week, no circuit had published a single case. I didn't know what I was going to do. If I can be vulnerable for a minute, I was getting worried. But the Ninth Circuit came in and saved the day on Friday, publishing two decisions on asylum and torture convention protection, and both of them wins for non-citizens. One of the decisions is an amended decision that was originally published before the podcast began. So we're going to dive deep into it, which we don't usually do for amended decisions. As always, please check out our Patreon page and contact me if you'd like a CLE self-certification certificate for $20. And finally, it is with great honor that I report that immigration attorney and longtime immigration podcast host, John Kasravi, was kind enough to have me on his own excellent immigration podcast earlier this week. So check out his show and keep an eye out for a special bonus episode in the Immigration Review feed. Now, on to the first of our two cases. First is Guerra v. Barr, reissued by the Ninth Circuit on September 11th, 2020. This decision amends a prior decision published on March 3rd, granting a non-citizen's petition challenging denial of his application for deferral of removal under the Convention Against Torture, or CAT. Mr. Guerra was brought to the United States at 11 years old without authorization, escaping child abuse and sexual abuse in Mexico. He had significant psychological issues, including psychosis, and when he became an adult, he was arrested for engaging in lewd and lascivious acts with a boy in the group home for psychologically disabled individuals that he lived at in California. He was deemed incompetent to stand trial, but after taking medication, was deemed competent and was convicted for having violated California Penal Code Section 288A, sentenced to three years imprisonment. In prison, he continued to suffer from schizophrenia and hallucinations. DHS sought to remove him for his conviction, and because he did not have authorization to be in the United States. The immigration judge found Mr. Guerra incompetent to represent himself, and so appointed an attorney to represent him in immigration court, pursuant to the Franco-Gonzalez class action. As an aside, following that class action, non-citizens in removal proceedings nationwide who are deemed incompetent or who otherwise suffer from a serious mental health disorder and unlike all others in removal proceedings, must be appointed counsel at no cost to the non-citizen. Because of his crime, Mr. Guerra's court-appointed attorney did not pursue asylum or withholding of removal under the Act, and applied only for deferral of removal under the CAT. 
He argued that if returned to Mexico, Mr. Guerra would likely become homeless and end up in a Mexican mental health institution or a prison, which country condition evidence shows are horrendous, particularly for people like Mr. Guerra. Mr. Guerra's attorney argued that he'd be subject to abuse that constituted torture in such an institution or prison. Based on the extensive evidence submitted and Mr. Guerra's specific psychological issues, the immigration judge granted Kat deferral. But DHS appealed, and the BIA reversed the immigration judge. On petition for review, the Ninth Circuit vacated the BIA's decision, finding that it had applied the incorrect standard when it reviewed the IJ's findings of fact. Rather than reviewing those facts under the deferential, clearly erroneous standard, the BIA reviewed the facts of this case de novo, or in the first instance. This, the BIA cannot do. Clearly erroneous means, quote, illogical or implausible, or without support in inferences that may be drawn from the facts in the record, end quote. The Ninth Circuit held that even though the BIA stated that it was reviewing the IJ's decision under the clearly erroneous standard four times, it clearly wasn't, particularly as to whether mental health workers intentionally torture mentally ill individuals in Mexico and whether Mr. Guerra would likely suffer severe pain and suffering in Mexico. So, the Ninth Circuit remanded proceedings to the BIA with strong language indicating that the BIA should affirm the IJ and grant cat deferral. Here are three more observations about the case. A quick note. This case comes close to butting up against the Attorney General's very recent decision in matter of RAF, wherein the Attorney General held that whether facts meet the legal definition of torture is a mixed question of law and fact that the BIA reviews de novo and not under the clearly erroneous standard. That's not what was at issue here. Here, the Ninth Circuit held that the BIA improperly reviewed de novo pure factual questions, namely, the likelihood of Mr. Guerra suffering severe harm in the first place. A fine line, but an important line that may make all the difference in cat appeals. Second, oil relied heavily on Villegas v. Mukasey, a case published by the Ninth Circuit in 2008, to argue that mentally ill individuals are not persecuted or tortured in Mexico. The Ninth Circuit distinguished Villegas for multiple reasons and with extensive cites to recent country conditions in Mexico. Quote, The government appears to argue that evidence of primitive and abusive practices on mental health patients categorically is insufficient to support an inference of specific intent to inflict harm, relying heavily on our decision in Villegas. This overstates our prior holding, end quote. Indeed, it does. So Ninth Circuit practitioners, when DHS argues Viegas, throw Guerra right back at them. Finally, this case presents an important question that an immigration judge I used to know would sometimes ask. What do we do with people like Mr. Guerra? He came to the U.S. at 11 after suffering terrible abuse in Mexico and was raised in this country. But he doesn't at least before this case, have a legal right to be here. He suffers from severe mental illnesses that may or may not be the result of his experiences in the U.S., and regardless, the U.S. is certainly in the best position to care for someone like him. He committed a bad crime, but almost surely did so because of his mental illness, and while under the care of the United States. What do we, as a country, want to do with the Mr. Garras of the world? 
And what responsibility do we have? Immigration law doesn't really have an answer, and I don't think that we of a country have ever thought deeply about that question. Maybe it's time that we do. And that is Gera Vibar. Next is J.R. V. Barr, published by the Ninth Circuit again on September 11th, 2020. Like the Fourth Circuit's decision last week in Portillo Flores v. Barr, this case is about whether the Salvadoran government is unable or unwilling to control gangs in El Salvador, such that Mr. J.R. is eligible for asylum relief. But unlike the Fourth Circuit's ruling, Mr. J.R. succeeded on his petition for review. Mr. J.R.'s story is tragic, and the Ninth Circuit used an acronym for his name on his attorney's request. Mr. J.R.'s nephew is a member of the 18th Street Gang, or Mara 18 Gang, in El Salvador, who, apparently due to a dispute, cut off two of Mr. J.R.'s fingers. Then in 2016, 18th Street Gang members shot Mr. J.R. seven times. He lost his lung. Then they killed Mr. J.R.'s son. The family reported it all to police, naming the local 18th Street Gang leader and his brother as the perpetrators. The police assisted, and Mr. J.R. testified, at least in writing, against the 18th Street Gang leaders. The leader told Mr. J.R. that he would die as a result. Salvadoran prosecutors relocated Mr. J.R. and his family, but once relocated, the police stopped protecting them. So the family fled to the U.S., where they claimed asylum at the U.S. border. Meanwhile, the gang members were convicted in El Salvador, and the 18th Street Gang went looking for Mr. J.R. and his family, killing Mr. J.R.'s wife's uncle's brother in the process. The 18th Street Gang members have since been released from prison. The immigration judge denied relief. The IJ noted that under the Ninth Circuit's seminal case Enriquez Rivas, a witness in a criminal case can constitute a particular social group that qualifies for asylum. But the IJ then held that Mr. J.R. hadn't shown that the Salvadoran government was unwilling or unable to protect him, also a requirement under asylum law when the persecutor is not the government itself. This finding was primarily based on the fact that the Salvadoran government had actually prosecuted the gang leaders who killed Mr. J.R.'s son. Now I'm going to quote this directly from the Ninth Circuit because it's just remarkable. In court, quote, after the IJ announced his oral decision denying relief, J.R. said, well, this is the judge. What can we do? I mean, I'm going to have to die. End quote. The BIA affirmed the IJ. The Ninth Circuit reversed, with great quotes to use. Quote, Some official responsiveness to complaints of violence, although relevant, does not automatically equate to governmental ability and willingness, end quote. Rather, quote, Willingness to control persecutors notwithstanding, authorities may nevertheless be powerless to stop them because of a lack of resources or because of the character or pervasiveness of the persecution, end quote. Here, the record compelled a finding that the Salvadoran government, although possibly willing, was unable to protect Mr. J.R. and his family. After all, the gang cut off Mr. J.R.'s fingers and then still killed his son. The Salvadoran government prosecuted the leaders and protected Mr. J.R. a bit, but then withdrew that protection and released the killers from prison. 
And here's another great quote to remember. Quote, Given its withdrawal of protection, the El Salvadoran government was, in fact, unwilling to protect. End quote. Indeed, quote, the undisputed factual record that was before the IJ and BIA reflects actual deadly violence that the government was, during certain periods, unable to control, and threats of additional deadly violence that the government was entirely unwilling to control after JR testified. This is enough. End quote. So, an incredibly important case to remember on unable and unwilling, particularly in light of the Fourth Circuit's decision last week in Portillo Flores. Great win for Mr. J.R. and his family under terrible circumstances. For completeness sake, I note that Judge Rawlinson, quote, reluctantly dissented, end quote. I just want to provide one more observation and one more quote. Despite being an asylum seeker fleeing horrific violence and the murder of his son in El Salvador, and despite not having any criminal record whatsoever, quote, J.R. was incarcerated from the date of his arrival in the United States in December 2017 until May 2020, waiting for his application to be adjudicated, end quote. This is a decision that ICE made in this case, and that accordingly, we as a country made and continue to make until the law regarding detention of non-citizens is updated. And that is J.R.V. Barr. So there you have it. You're all caught up with the past week's published immigration cases. I'm Kevin A. Gregg, a partner with the law firm Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, and this has been another episode of Immigration Review. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with a friend and rate and review us. Each review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, subscribe to Immigration Review wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what we do and want to become a patron of the show, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash immigration review, or click on the link in the show notes. And if you're interested in an official Immigration Review CLE certificate for five credit hours, email me at kgreg at kktplaw.com with your full name and the episode numbers for the 10 shows you've listened to. Also, feel free to email me with questions, comments, or anything at all. And follow the show on Instagram and Facebook, at Immigration Review. And send us a tweet, at ImReview. That's I-M-M Review. I'll be back next Monday for a brand new discussion. Until then, I'm Kevin A. Gregg, bringing you the Immigration Review.